I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hey guys. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, we have two guests with us today from Great Builds with a Z at the end. Paul Deshevsky and John Krishpol, who are the co-founders of Great Builds. Please help me welcome Paul and John. Paul, John, thank you for joining us. And Demetrius, thanks for having us. Good to have you guys in. Um, So you guys have an interesting concept that we'll we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, just as a quick synopsis, you basically link homeowners and contractors, right? Yeah, high level is the elevator pitch is free service that connects homeowners with pre-vetted, reliable general contractors. And then we stay involved throughout the whole project to make sure everything goes smoothly. Reliable. Gotta love that. Especially (laughs) with a contractor, right? Rare. (laughs) (laughs) So we wanted to get you guys on. You guys are, with the work that you do, have probably had a ton of experience. I know on the architecture side, I am slammed right now with this after, during and post-COVID Everybody has been remodeling their homes um, with the ability to work from home now. Uh, They've had so much more incentive 
to remodel their homes and add on that master bedroom or office or bonus room to get the kids out of the mix. <laughs> um, so I wanted to chat with you guys as you're linking people together and staying throughout the project and kind of talk about this whole process and, and how you guys have navigated through and um, some of the things that you've encountered throughout this this time. And first of all, are you guys also feeling the crunch of a ton of people doing work right now? Yeah, I would say that both the business that we're receiving just through our website and the traffic we're seeing, but also all of the contractors that we work with, we keep tabs on them and how busy they are and what they're working on. And just about every single contractor for the past year will agree that 2020 was unlike any other year. So as far as like recording metrics and looking at comparing that year and different seasonality to the year prior or to this year, it's impossible to do because everyone's business has been so different and has had to shift so significantly because of 2020, because of the pandemic. And it's stressful, but it's exciting. And I'll, I'll add I'll add to that, though, the it's busy, right, Demetrius, like everybody wants that project done, to your point, as, as far as homeowners. But then the downside that we're seeing or the challenge we're seeing is somebody who wants to permit, and maybe you guys are seeing this too, permit an ADU or permit a, an addition. It's taken like six or seven months to get through the city and the departments, which is just absolutely nuts. So fingers crossed when people go back to work and the plan checkers go back to work, they can go back to a... I remember it wasn't that long ago, you get stuff done over the counter. Now it's six yeah. months. Yeah. It, the, oh my God. That part alone has been such a nightmare. Yeah. Cause no one's in the office. So you have a time, a insane time trying to get a hold of anybody. So you call anybody, it's a voicemail that directs you to their email. And then you have to try and figure out what their email is because they say it's super fast and you have to listen to it three times <laughs> <laughs> just to get the email. Then you email and they don't respond or it takes days to respond. It's just been a nightmare. Between the city and DWP and LID oh, and all the departments, it's like you got it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, preaching the choir, I'm sure. Yeah. So as a quick uh background we're all in california so we're and and you guys great builds are in la is a lot of your work in la southern california yeah mm -hmm. okay so uh so we're all talking specifically probably about uh <laughs> la uh department of building and safety right it's yep. uh it's a nightmare i mean you should you should add because on their own already they were a pain to deal with right so yeah then you add this on top of that <laughs> and it just exacerbates the issue right right yeah I thought it was actually going to be a good thing with the going to electronic submittal. And it kind of started out that way. But if you throw any sort of wrench in it or have to get a supplemental permit, it just completely goes awry. And I also heard, and this is I heard, <laughs> don't quote me on this, that there was a lot of turnover and they have a lot of new inspectors in who basically follow a sheet and have no experience. So anytime you're like, that's not right, then they they push back because they're looking at their sheet of paper and don't want to, you know, look outside of what's on that paper. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. I've heard the same thing. Okay. So there's probably some truth in that. Since you're connecting people with contractors, what are some of the, the red flags and, and difficulties with connecting with a contractor? 
Well, to your point, everybody's busy. You know, you connect, you connect a homeowner to a contractor. We, we, we always connect them with three usually, right? Because everyone deserves to get three bids, three different personalities to see if they can, they can mesh with them and they like their price, but everybody's busy. So if, a contractor can't get to a client. Understandably, they're busy on jobs, but they can't get to a client within a week or two. And then, then they meet the client and then they can't get a bid back to them for a week or two. It like, you know, it becomes sort of an issue. It's we we play the liaison between the, the homeowner and the and, and the contractor. We try to educate them, like, ma'am, everybody's really busy. So just 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 be patient. You're not alone. Uh, but if one contractor is on it. You know, gets that stuff back. It's you know, and the other con- you know, the other contractor is going to look bad because they're busy or whatever. We had a situation recently where a guy was trying to finish up a job for a really good client. Client was happy with them. And then all of a sudden, at the very end of the job, his uh, garage door subcontractor kind of started flaking, bailing. Maybe they couldn't get material. Whatever the story was. And now this client that was that's like two months without a garage door, like the last piece of the puzzle client that was happy throughout 98% of the job is now kind of pissed because we couldn't get her a garage door. So what did we do? We kind of came in and said, so to the contractor, we said, dude, okay, we get it. They're not the, you know, you wanted you to use your garage sub. They're not the only sub in town. We gave them five other garage door subs and go and said, I I know you're busy. You got to vet these guys, find a garage door sub that you can work with and just get it done and get the client happy so we can move on with our life. So stuff like that happens, you know? Well, especially with all the material issues right now too. I mean, you guys are coming into that and, you know, the people that are, you know, more or less off the street, they don't quite understand how difficult it is to get plywood right now or to get, you know, any of those kind of things. All they know is they're sitting here with a torn down, whatever, or half built, you know, scenario saying, I don't understand why you just can't do this. Nobody's been here for two weeks or a week or Mm -hmm. whatever. Right. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of, to, I think you said for 2020 and, and bleeding into 2021, there's just different dynamics than we've never dealt with. Right. right. It's hard to, it's hard to get somebody to understand what those things are if you're not in the middle of it. Right. Fully. So, you know, it's, it's sourcing materials, it's booking inspectors, it's getting plans approved with the city, getting permits, uh, anything that used to be a relatively quick and easy process, uh, relatively right. Um, <laughs> is now a, a much deeper undertaking and that's concerning. It's stressful, but to, to Paul's point, hopefully that, things will start going back to normal soon enough and the supply chain issues become less of an issue and that the city issues become less of an issue as well. You mentioned something interesting there, Paul. I find having trying to educate uh, homeowners, building owners throughout this process and in, and in general about timing and why things are the way that they are um, is a big part of the job. Um, even on the, the front end of design of trying to explain, okay, we have this process. If you don't give me an answer within a certain time frame, it's going to start to trickle down and push things out further and further. How are you guys, do you guys have a way that you approach education and um, trying to keep clients, uh, homeowners, building owners, understanding what uh, stages there are in construction, why it's important to do certain things, why things are going to take long? That's a great question. It's funny you ask that. Um, we, we do a lot of blogging on our website about construction, contractors design. And every time I blog, I, you know, well, a lot of our blogs, I should say, are that education. So we'll send clients a blog that might say something like, 
why your renovation won't be perfect or what's okay <laughs> to expect or why you should budget 10 or 20% more, you know? And so we'll send them these blogs so they can read it. But I have this theory, I don't know if it's right, but I have this theory that HGTV is kind of doing us all a favor because I, right. Cause I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a flipping show where something doesn't go wrong. So I almost feel like renovators who watch, you know, the Magnolia shows or whatever, uh, flip or flop kind of know like, something's going to go wrong. It's going to cost extra. They're going to find something behind a wall. They just they kind of expect it now because they see it on TV. Maybe. Well, that, that's funny too, because I want to say, D, we did something, you know, maybe about a year ago talking about the other side of the DIY type stuff, right? Where I see yeah. a guy put down wood floor with liquid nails. And I'm like, like <laughs> that's guys, right. like that's, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, well, they, they said they could do it for X amount. Like, why do we have to use this? It's like, well, cause you want it to stay down. You're not going to sell it to somebody and bail. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of thing. I so. can see that being a problem. I mean, look, it's scripted, right? They got to script a problem. They yeah. got a script. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. It's yeah. a, it, but it's a good point though. You're right. I didn't think of it from that perspective where they actually show all the time, the trials and tribulations, different things. Like I want to open up this house. Well, now I got to put a beam in and then it's extra 10 grand, you know, like that kind of stuff. So uh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that before. I I feel like the negative effect is a little bit stronger in that uh, the because they see it in such a short amount of time and it seems <laughs> simple, even, even the hard parts seem fairly simple, you sort of sponge in this idea that it's going to be fairly quick and everyone knows how to handle these issues that may come up. So it's just easy, easily taken care of, even though the, it may be a little bit more costly. It's just, it's, you know how to handle it, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, you know, sometimes problems are difficult and you have to figure out how to resolve them, especially on the construction side when there's so many different um, spokes to the wheel and agencies and and uh, trades to ha- deal with and coordinate, it's infinitely more complex than a half hour show. That's a really right. interesting point. Like everything gets resolved in half an hour, so like it's, <laughs> it's like that. So maybe that the, the um, but there is always like a trade off. I, I I agree with your point, but like I think most of these shows like oh, sorry, we found this, so you can't have that. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's an education. Maybe it's not the best education in the world. <laughs> uh, I, think it's, I think it's a good parallel in a lot of ways, actually. Maybe it's I like, mean, the one that was always funny to me was like they run into some kind of issue and it's like, oh, well, we ran down the city today and got our answer and it's approved or whatever. <laughs> yeah. To what you guys are saying now, I'm like, really? Like it took half a day? I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? Right. Maybe in Waco, Texas, that can happen. Maybe you can just literally run down and be like, hey, Bob, the building, you know, inspector, <laughs> building department. What do you think? And Bob says, sure. So Bob says 110 out today. I'm not coming out. So it sounds great. Go for it, right? yeah. See you tomorrow. Yeah. That's funny. That is. <laughs> so what about uh, the design side and that bridge between design and construction? Um, do you guys play a role in that? And what are what are some things that you've had to deal with uh, in your time of, of bridging that gap between design and construction? Yeah, so I, I'd say that we work with different types of contractors. Some of the ones we work with are just independent general contractors. All they do is build. Some of them are design build teams. So certainly with the design build teams that have a 
designer, an interior designer, an architect, and a contractor that all work together, there's certainly a, a unique type of relationship that happens there versus a GC just, that just might happen to know an architect and know a designer they can bring in for a project. Um, so as far as the guidance and the work that we do on the design side, and similarly how our contractors work and coordinate with designers, um, I think it's really important that that relationship is built early. It's I, I always see a more cohesive relationship with the design build teams and the, their clients because they know how they think. Whereas oftentimes when a client comes to us from an interior designer, they have these certain ideas, these certain thoughts of what are possible, what's going to fit in their budget. And then after planning their project for three to four months, they might meet with a contractor and a contractor can take a look at their house and say, oh, well, you won't be able to use that tile and you, you might be stuck with this. And if you really want those fancy doors, just understand that's another 10 G's. Um, and sometimes that reality isn't always at play when just working with a designer. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the most important things that I would say is making sure that they build that relationship as early as possible. As soon as clients come to me, typically they're looking for a contractor, uh, but I do try to educate. And like Paul said, uh, on our blog, we write a bunch about tips and tricks and ideas on how to best prepare and plan for any type of project, whether it's a relatively small project like a bathroom or a kitchen or a larger project with an addition or a full gut reno, building an ADU, larger scale projects like that are especially more important to kind of control design and construction simultaneously. Let's take a quick break to share a little bit about our sponsor, Twin Motion. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months of the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Well, our friends at Twin Motion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their state-of-the-art technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or presentations. No wonder it's used by industry leaders like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present their biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? Or that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects? To learn more, visit Twinmotion.com. Or to download a free trial today, visit our exclusive URL, Twinmotion.link spaces. That's T-W-I-N-M-O-T-I-O-N dot L-I-N-K slash spaces to try Twinmotion for free. Where do you guys fall on the age-old question of architect or designer uh, or contractor first? But, but both. Okay. Uh, but, but, I mean, because I, you know, one of the first 
people we talked to actually this was before we even started i had a friend who said uh she got connected with an architect and they drew plans and they kind of told them you've heard this story before we've all heard it uh they told her oh you know, she said I, we have a fifty thousand dollar budget and they drew the plan and so on and so forth spent 14 15 grand on the plans and then what happened contractors that bid it it was like a hundred and twenty thousand dollar project and she was pissed <laughs> So I don't know that you kind of have a choice. To John's point, you, 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 the contractor has to bring in an architect or the architect has to, you know, get connected with some folks or, or, or unless you have an architect that's just absolutely amazing. I don't think it's their job, but it's absolutely amazing at costing things. But I think both. Let me, let me piggyback on that a little bit. I agree it's both. But I'd say to some degree, it depends on the size and kind of complexity of the project, right? If it's a bathroom remodel or a kitchen, even if you want to move a wall or move some uh, utilities, whatever, it's simple enough typically that a contractor knows, okay, this is what this costs, this is what this costs, even though this will need plans. I anticipate it'll be somewhere in this wheelhouse. Then at that point, once you have a rough number of what it's gonna cost, and if it's still feasible for you, then work with an architect and get the plans drawn up and then confirm with that contractor or a few other contractors on what the number is gonna be. Whereas if it's a larger project, like a new construction of anything, an ADU or an addition or a major redevelopment, reconfiguration of a house, starting that relationship with an architect to identify feasibility and a contractor to confirm the costs, like Paul said, I think is very significant, very important. Gotcha. A couple of things to squeeze in um, throughout this uh, pandemic. What are you guys seeing uh, as sort of the trends uh, or the things that have fallen by the wayside that people are adding on to their homes and, uh, and looking to remodel and incorporate? Yeah, so I wouldn't say entirely as a result of the pandemic, but certainly to some degree, um, accessory dwelling units here in California are uh, these tiny homes, these backyard homes, secondary suites, and laws changed at the end of 2019 into 2020. And I'd say just because the laws changed and to some degree, homeowners are spending more time at home looking for more space looking for additional rental income just the entire realm of garage conversions and accessory dwelling units to some degree from a design perspective have really really taken off people want a home office people want a little music room or a gym at their home so now that folks are incorporating those kind of concepts and realizing that they have a place for it that's gotten very popular I'd say on more of the design side, white kitchens are not a big a deal anymore. Uh, people are looking for a little bit more color. So whether it's darker shades for cabinets or integrating wood, like lighter natural wood grains into the kitchen, I'd say that's becoming very popular. Uh, large format tile, whether it's in the bathroom or in the kitchen or in the great room, uh, that's becoming a lot more popular people are looking for more elegant cleaner looks with less grout lines that type of thing going into the bathroom introducing hints of color gold brush gold is becoming very popular and then also especially for homes that have a powder room or a half bath folks are taking advantage of the opportunity the pop exactly 
adding some radical color, some unique fixtures, even textures. a, a full wall wallpaper yeah. and textures, exactly. Because a half bath is boring and it's so small and it's relatively inexpensive to do anything to. So, you know, for my own personal bathroom, I want something a bit more subdued. But if I'm having guests, then let's ex pop them with color. Uh, going back to the kitchen, I guess, waterfall islands, just big slabs of quartz or granite uh, are really just beautiful and gorgeous. And especially as the, and this isn't very, this isn't necessarily a new trend, but just open concept, right? I mentioned great room earlier. So instead of a kitchen here and a living room here, knock down all the walls, open everything up. And I'd say touching on that, the waterfall islands kind of really help tie the room together, giant glass windows and folding accordion doors, just something to really tie together, especially here in LA, tie together the inside with the outside and make rooms feel much, much bigger. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I definitely agree with all the trends you're referring to. And a lot of times on an island is kind of an impact island. So you get that split finish, right? In what you're doing or like a really, you know, sometimes it's either super subdued or it's a kind of a crazy piece too, like almost an impact piece. Right. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is I was talking to somebody about this the other day, you know, not to bring market stuff into it, but as people get super confident and feel like they got a lot of money and they can do all those other kind of things, you start to see a lot of the colder styles. Right. So when you're talking large format tile, it's a very concrete looking material, right. Colder style, you know, those types of things. Um, and the, the bolder colors and those types of deals where people are feeling really good and a little bit riskier. And mm -hmm. as the market starts to turn, what I think you'll start to see is you'll come back to a lot more of like the heartwoods, um, the warmth, the browns, not so much the grays and the dark blues and every, you know, but it's like the, the warm tones. Um, so, you know, for people that are watching the market and always wondering we're, we're up here, I think because of the trends that people are doing, you know, it goes very Soho, very cold, very chrome, right. Can come back the, the, uh, which I've seen a ton of chrome, which is kind of crazy because the cheapest part, but right. And, <laughs> um, but then you get into the brass and the gold, like you were saying, so they're getting a little bit out there. So it makes you kind of tie that into maybe where the market's at, um, and where it may be headed and stuff like that. But I, I, I completely agree from. The design side that we see day in and day out, you know, six, seven million dollar homes all the way out to, you know, four or five hundred thousand. You're right on trend. hundred percent. But it's funny, Jason, it made me think of, you know, brass and gold. Right. Like um, in my past life, I was flipping homes. You'd walk into a 70s home and the doorknobs would be brass. And you think, well, when I flip it, I have to take off the old brass knob and put in a new gold knob because the old one's not in style, but the new gold is in style. But it's all it's just like 30 year cycles of it coming back to the same thing. And then you see the oak <laughs> cabinets. Granted, it may not have been red oak cabinets anymore, right. but now it's white oak. Right. So everything's white oak. And you just kind of laugh because it's like all the graining, at least that style is back in, you know, it's, it's toned down into the yellows and the grays and whatnot. But there's all this oak and now there's brass and gold. And you're like, what the heck? I mean, totally. you're expecting somebody to walk back in with bell bottoms. You know what I mean? Like that's how it goes. <laughs> pretty, right? pretty, I mean, soon, pretty soon we're going to be laying down shag carpet. All right. Dude, I mean, it's just I, like, that's my crystal I, ball what, on this. You know what, you know what the funny part is we just had some new product come in and, and they brought some stuff through and there was some seriously thick carpets coming back through and you're just looking at it going, okay, if anybody starts putting this on walls, I quit. You know what I mean? Like I'm done. Seventies, seventies are back. Wow. Yeah. You got to watch out. You guys are right. That's awesome. So uh, the company, again, is Great Builds. Uh, Paul, John, you want to kind of go into a little more depth of Great Builds? Yeah, let me give you the, the, the three-minute origin story. Uh, <laughs> like I just said to Jason, I was, I was flipping homes for 10 years here in Southern California. 
And uh, most conversations I had would end with, you know, would, would end with the same thing. The, the people would ask me, oh, that's cool. That's what you do. Hey, can you recommend a contractor? I need a flooring contract. I need a plumber. I need a this. Everyone always needs a contract. They always ask me. It sort of got me thinking like, okay, I kind of don't really get it. I know people want to be recommended to someone, but there's so many ways to find a contractor, check your junk mail, you go online. It's just, you know, so I started doing a little research on this and I found a couple statistics that you guys and your listeners might find sort of interesting. So in LA County alone, there's over 20,000 licensed general contractors, not plumbers, not electricians, <laughs> licensed general contractors, 20,000. Oh okay. And then I found another statistic that was sort of interesting, which was uh, Angie's List did a survey maybe four or five years ago now. They surveyed homeowners after a major remodel. 52% of those people surveyed said they had a bad experience with their contractor remodel. And I'm like, okay, so that tells me two things. Opportunity. What a screwed up business we have because, you know, 50% of people don't like the result. And two, there's just too many contractors to choose from. 20,000 is just too many to choose from. And so that made me realize like why people just want to get recommended. They want a shortcut. They want to shortcut that 20,000 and they want to shortcut that 50%. Just just give me somebody good. Just give me a name, somebody that you use. So we're like, okay, let's make this into a business. So yes, there's other companies out there where you can go online and find a contractor, but it's, it's really low touch. It's self-serve. So like, what if we get folks to call us and tell us what they need, who they are, what their budget is, really spend like 10, 20, 30 minutes getting to know them, right? Like an architect would to, to, to find out their needs and then help them. If they just need a little bit of info or guidance, we'll do that. If they need to be connected with an architect, we'll help that. But really the idea is let's connect them with three contractors in our network that have been highly vetted by us that would be a good fit for them. Okay. And we're, these are contractors that we've vetted rigorously so that we would recommend these to our families. So we, we do that. We match, make that. We make sure that the contractors do what they say. We make sure that the homeowners understand what's happening. And then if the homeowner decides to pick that contractor, we help spread bids and we help them you know, look at contracts and things of that nature, then um, we'll stay involved through the job just to be that liaison. Because invariably, every job I've ever seen, something goes wrong. And when that homeowner gets frustrated, then it's our job, you know, we'll keep checking in with them. It's our job to say, okay, let's listen to your frustration. Let's hear you out and let's see how we can help. Maybe we need to get a hold of the contractor and say, hey, um, this garage door thing, it's been a couple months. Here's some subs. Just go finish it. <laughs> so that's what we do. And uh, one last thing to leave the listeners with, if they happen to not use great builds, what are one or two things that they should look out for if they're searching for a contractor? Yeah, I'll say you don't need to use great builds. We don't have any secret sauce. I highly encourage it, of course. Uh, but our website has the 10 plus vetting steps that we use. And the way we find contractors is the same way that anyone should find a contractor if they had copious amount of time to do it. So if there were just a few things that you had to do before, um, if you were in a super big rush, you're deciding between these two contractors, you need that seal of approval before you move forward, look up their license online, make sure that they're licensed, insured, bonded. And if they have employees, make sure that they have workers' compensation insurance. Two, speak with a few of their references. Talk to recent homeowners and then homeowners for maybe a year or two back who have worked with this contractor, ideally on a similar project. 
ask them what the experience was like working with them. And my question, ask them when something went wrong, how did that contractor handle it? I think that's one of the most important things that tells us the difference between a good contractor and a bad contractor is when something does inherently go wrong, is that contractor get defensive and play the blame game and point fingers? Or does he sit down with you and open up the book and they're honest and they're reliable and tell you how it is and give you options and work with you to find a resolution? So it, it, again, uh, we have 10 vetting steps. They're all public on our site and I encourage doing every single one of them, but if not speak with references, make sure they're legit on paper and, and that's good enough. Thank you so much, Paul and John. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you to the listeners. Oh, and thank you, Jason. For <laughs> All right. We'll be back here on Tuesday. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks again to Paul and John. We totally forgot to give them the opportunity to plug their website. So I'll do that here. Make sure to check them out at greatbuilds.com. That's great builds with a Z at the end dot com. And you can check them out on social media at great builds. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link slash spaces today and try Twin Motion for free. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. <laughs>
And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.